Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 28, The Andalusian Voyages. Today we're going to start a mini-series of episodes looking at the exploration taking place between Columbus's discoveries and the year 1520. There was a great deal going on in the first two decades of the 1500s, and it's quite honestly a challenge making sense of it all. Voyages were happening simultaneously in different parts of the Caribbean, as everyone looked to be the first to discover and colonise a rich new land. Doing so would make it part of the new Spanish Empire, but it would also bring the discoverer riches and rewards. The difficulty is that it can be quite hard to work out how to present all of this. Do you go by geographical area? or follow each individual story one by one? The problem with this is that it involves skipping back and forth through time, and each of the stories affects the others. You end up struggling to know how far down sidetracks to go in order to better explain events in the story you are telling. I have decided to go for the chronological approach. This seems to be the best way to make sense of it all. The drawback is that this means introducing lots of names, telling a story and then leaving them for a couple of episodes, which makes it hard to keep track of everyone, but I will try my best to make it all as clear as possible. If you don't like it, blame the Spanish. So today we start tackling the task by looking at the Andalusian voyages. These were a set of expeditions which took place around the year 1500. The journeys are referred to as the Andalusian journeys because, as Hispaniola was not properly established, they set off from Spain. This makes them unique, as it will only be a couple of years before Hispaniola becomes the forward base for further exploration. Now these journeys did not result in any meaningful colonisation, but they did expand Spanish knowledge of the New World. Information about these voyages is hard to come by. It seems that few historians have taken the time to go through the primary documents and piece together a detailed overview of them all. As these documents are largely in places like Madrid, this is obviously not an option for me either. There is one book which does do this, but unfortunately it was published in 1976 and I cannot get a copy. I have read a review of it, however, that states that the book covers 11 separate voyages. I will not be able to talk about all of these, but I can talk about the three which have the most information. The first was undertaken by Vicente Pinzon. If you recognise that name, 
It's because he was the younger of the Pinzon brothers who accompanied Columbus on his famous first trip. Vicente, Captain the Niña. After returning from that voyage, he went back to doing what he'd been doing beforehand, sailing around the Mediterranean as a trader slash Spanish naval officer slash mercenary slash pirate. He shows up in North Africa and southern Italy fighting for the Spanish. In 1499, the Crown started to make noises, suggesting that they might sanction new trips to the Americas, and Vicente managed to get permission to lead one of these. He set off with four ships, and after surviving a storm near the Cabo Verde Islands, he eventually sighted land. He had reached the north of what is today Brazil. He had done this a few months before the Portuguese expedition under Cabral, This fact was not widely publicised, however, as under the recently signed Treaty of Tordesillas, this land was Portugal's, and the Spanish shouldn't have really been there. He reached today's state of Pernambuco, and from here he followed the coast northwards. At some point there was a confrontation with the native inhabitants, which resulted in eight Spanish deaths. He also passed the estuary of the Amazon, and this must have been really mind-blowing. Nothing like that existed in the known world, and he was the first to see it. He continued onwards, past the Guyanas and Venezuela, and along the way he encountered another surprise. A Spaniard, a man named Diego de Lepe, had set off on an almost identical route shortly after him. Lepe's journey is a bit of a puzzle. It's one of the hardest to find information on, and he seems to have just done exactly the same thing as Pinzon, only a few weeks later. What the point of that was, I'm not sure. He did, however, end up catching up with Pinzon, and the newly combined fleet went north to Hispaniola and the Bahamas before returning to Spain. These dual trips expanded Spanish knowledge of the New World, although almost all of the land they discovered was useless to them, due to the Treaty of Tordesillas. In many ways, it can be considered a success, thanks to these discoveries, but for Pinzon personally, it was not. He had invested a lot of his money into it, and failed to make any back. He would spend the next few years struggling to make ends meet, but his achievements were recognised by the Spanish crown, which knighted him in 1501. It will be a little while before Pinzon returns to the New World, but he will, and we will catch up with him soon. Almost simultaneously to Pinzon's journey, another man was going out on his own. Alonso de Ojeda set off from Spain in May 1499, with the permission of the crown. He was seeking to add detail to Spanish knowledge of the South American mainland, which Columbus had sighted on his third voyage the year before. While the man at the top had sanctioned this trip, Columbus had not. Columbus was still governor of Hispaniola at this point, and had been given exclusive rights to exploration in the New World, as part of his initial deal with the Crown. As far as he was concerned, Ojeda was violating these rights. I mentioned in a previous episode that there was an incident where Columbus's supporters openly fought with rival explorers on the streets of Hispaniola. It was Ojeda's men who they were fighting. Ojeda came from a noble family, 
but one which was impoverished in comparison to many of his class. He spent his early adulthood becoming a soldier, and he fought in the conquest of Granada. He was also part of Columbus's second voyage, and took part in several skirmishes against the Taino. He then returned to Spain in 1496, and started laying the groundwork for an expedition of his own. One of the crew members on this trip was said to be Amerigo Vespucci. We briefly discussed Vespucci in the episode on the Portuguese. In that episode, he accompanied them to Brazil, and explored the eastern coastline of South America. I also mentioned that he is believed to have taken part in four expeditions, but that in truth, this claim is not universally agreed on. This is one of those disputed voyages. Ojeda led his ships down the coast of West Africa, over to the Cape Verde Islands, and across the Atlantic to today's Guyana. Here Vespucci is said to have separated from the main fleet, heading southwards to explore the very northern coast of Brazil. This trip is based on an account in a letter supposedly sent to one of the Medici family. It's thought by many that this letter may be a fake, however, so whether Vespucci was actually involved in Ojeda's trip is unknown. Whatever the truth, Ojeda did not go south, and instead, he followed the coastline westwards. On the way, he revisited parts of the Venezuelan coastline which Columbus had discovered a year earlier, as well as the island of Trinidad. He also sighted the islands of Curaçao and Aruba for the first time. The goal was to enhance Spanish knowledge of the South American mainland, as well as to work out if there was a sea route past it to Asia. For this reason, he moved slowly and meticulously, examining any bays and rivers he came across. Eventually he found a particularly promising looking one, but it turned out to be the Gulf of Venezuela and the Bay of Maracaibo. Realising this, he sailed back out to the Caribbean Sea and reached the Guajira Peninsula. Guajira is today split between Venezuela and Colombia, so this makes Ojeda the first European to reach Colombia. Only just though. The native people of the peninsula are the Wayu, who at the time are said to have lived in stilt houses built over the water. The story goes that this reminded the sailors of the houses in Venice, which also lined the water of the canals there. For this reason, it was named Venezuela, which derives from Venice. As an aside, the Wayu still live on La Guajira. The peninsula is an arid place which does not lend itself to settlement, and so this, as well as their fighting skills, meant that Spanish colonisation efforts were not as strong here as they were in other parts of the region. The Wayu people have preserved much of their culture, and combined with the geography, this makes it a fascinating place to visit. I spent a few days there in 2011, and if you ever get a chance to go, you definitely should. It feels very alien, and is completely different to the rest of Colombia. I didn't know it at the time, but I stayed in the tiny village of Cabo de la Vela, which marks the westernmost point of Ojeda's journey. From Cabo de la Vela, Ojeda decided to call it a day, and he headed north to the colony of Hispaniola. Here he resupplied for the trip back to Spain, and it was at this point that his men got into their fight with Columbus's supporters. As was becoming a trend, his voyage had been very important in terms of discovery, but was not a financial success. 
About a year and a half later, Ojeda set off again to revisit his earlier discoveries. This time, however, his aim was not exploration. If Columbus's supporters had been angry that Ojeda had been allowed to explore in the Caribbean, they would be even more angry to know that Ojeda had been given permission to found a colony on the Guajira Peninsula. At this point, however, Columbus had been sent back to Spain as a prisoner and replaced as governor of Hispaniola, so there would be no more fights with his supporters. Ojeda had named the area Coquibacoa and was given the title of governor as he prepared to set off. This meant that administratively, the new colony would be completely separate from Hispaniola and that Ojeda would be of the same rank as Columbus, Bobadilla and Ovando during their terms as governors of Hispaniola. It would also mean that the new colony would be the first European settlement on mainland America. In January 1502, Ojeda set off with four ships. He followed his previous route, but ignored the islands and coasts this time, heading directly to La Guajira. On arrival, he built a fort, and set about creating a colony. Now, as I saw for myself when I visited, La Guajira is not the best place to start a colony from scratch. Choosing this location was not the only poor decision Ojeda made. He let his men attack nearby Wayu settlements, which of course led to retaliatory raids. While the Spanish had the advantage of guns and armour, they were few in number and in a strange land. The Wayu were therefore able to harass the Spanish effectively, and much-needed manpower was diverted from the building of the colony so that they could defend themselves. Tensions started to emerge amongst the Spaniards, and Ojeda's leadership became increasingly unpopular. It all escalated very quickly, and Ojeda was taken prisoner by two of the men who had financed the trip. These men elected to give up. The settlement was abandoned, and they all sailed over to Hispaniola, with many returning home afterwards. The whole thing had been a disaster from start to finish. They all lost money. Ojeda would remain in prison in Hispaniola for two years, and the colony had lasted for a grand total of three months. The governorship of Coquibacoa was not just stripped from Ojeda, but abolished altogether. Like Pinzon, Ojeda would have to spend the next few years recovering. His first job was to get himself out of jail. He will, however, be back in a big way, and we will pick up his story in a later episode. The last journey of exploration which we will cover in this episode was launched by a man named Rodrigo de Bastides. Like Ojeda, he had accompanied Columbus on his second voyage, and the aim of this journey was to build on the work done by Ojeda. De Bastides was an administrator from Sevilla, who then took up a career as an explorer. He was in his late twenties when he joined Columbus, and around 35 when he convinced the Spanish monarchy to let him explore on his own. The terms they gave him were that he would finance the expedition himself, and a full quarter of any profits would be due to the crown. He followed the increasingly well-trodden route to Guyana, and along the Venezuelan coast. He then passed Cabo de la Vila, and into unknown territory. Continuing westwards, he mapped the entire Caribbean-Colombian coastline and became the first European to reach today's Panama, beating Columbus, who would reach it from the opposite direction three years later. 
Along the way, he discovered the Magdalena River and scouted the bay where the important city of Cartagena would later be founded. He also traded with the native people of the coast, obtaining some gold and taking some of them captive. Around a third of the way up Panama's coastline, however, De Bastidas's two ships started to leak. They had been attacked by shipworm, a strange creature which eats away at wooden ships' hulls, and which had caused problems for other expeditions in the area. Bastides decided to head to Hispaniola. His route accidentally took him first to Jamaica, where he stopped to resupply. Being uncolonised, the island did not have the facilities needed to repair the ships though, and it was becoming increasingly clear that whether they reached Hispaniola or not was going to come down to luck. As they made the trip from Jamaica, half the crew were constantly bailing out water as the condition of the ships got worse and worse. By the time the island was sighted, things were so bad that Bastides elected to land, despite being on the wrong side of Hispaniola. They would have to walk through unexplored territory to the settlement. They had just managed to reach the shore, but were unable to unload all of their cargo before the ship sank. Showing their priorities, they managed to save much of the gold they had obtained, but didn't get to the indigenous prisoners in time, so they drowned as the ship sank. The expedition now found itself in unknown territory, with a few hundred miles walking to do. De Bastides split his men into three groups, as together they would struggle to find enough food to support themselves. If they went via three different routes, each group would require less and would be more likely to survive. Along the way, they used their precious gold and whatever else they had on them to trade with the Taino. They swapped their goods for food and water, and eventually everyone made it to the colony. Now at this point, Bobadilla was in charge, and as we saw with his treatment of Columbus, it seems that Bobadilla had a fondness for imprisoning people when it was not strictly necessary. Hearing Bastidas' account, instead of congratulating him on his survival, he had him arrested and sent back to Spain. Following the letter of the law, only the governor of Hispaniola had the right to trade with the Taino, so by exchanging his goods for food on the trek across the island, Bastides had violated this law. It seems like quite a minor thing, and you might have thought that Bobadilla would let it go, but apparently not. The fact that Bastides's remaining plunder could be confiscated may have influenced Bobadilla's actions. Just like Columbus, Bastides would get his revenge. When we looked at Columbus's final journey, we spoke about a hurricane which drowned Bobadilla and how Columbus's riches survived. Well, Bastides was put on a ship in that same fleet to be taken to Spain for trial. He too survived the hurricane along with some of his treasure and so he got a similar last laugh to Columbus. On arrival in Spain, he was acquitted by the crown and soon returned to Hispaniola. He did well in the colony and over the next few years he grew rich. He did so by building up a large ranch. In 1504 he briefly returned to Colombia, but only to go slaving and increase his personal fortune. He is said to have captured 600 indigenous Colombians and sold them in the colony. Just like the two other explorers featured in this episode, 
Debastias will embark on further adventures, but we will cover these at a later date. That takes us up to around the year 1505. At this time, the Spanish had discovered many of the Caribbean islands and explored the coastline of the mainland from the very top of Brazil to just south of Mexico. Nothing was known of the land beyond these coasts. There had been one attempt at a mainland colony under Ojeda, but this had been a failure. Similarly, the riches of Asia had not been found, and pretty much all activity so far had failed to be profitable. Next time, we will move things up to the year 1510 by looking at the adventures of some new explorers and continuing the stories of Pinzon and Ojeda. Until then, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America and that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T If you have any comments or questions feel free to get in contact at historyoflatinamericapodcast at gmail.com You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM and if you've liked the show you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes Alternatively if you visit the website you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos Most of these are my own taken during my time in Latin America All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening.